Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight with me, Tian Wei. U.S. Republican Congressman Kevin McCarthy was ousted as House Speaker, giving McCarthy the shortest House Speakership in 140 years. Well, it's nothing short of chaos playing out in Washington. China and U.S. have been trying to maintain certain kind of dialogue. U.S. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer will lead a bipartisan Senate delegation to China in the coming days. Chinese Ambassador to the U.S. Xie Feng says there is still a long way to go to mend bilateral ties. To what extent can these high-level interactions bridge the trust deficit between the two countries? Is it realistic to do that? To answer that question, let's have our panelists. In Shanghai, Joseph Gregory Mahoney, professor of politics with East China Normal University in Beijing, Zhao Hai, director of the International Political Studies with National Institute for Global Strategy. Welcome to both of you, gentlemen. Now, a lot of things going on in the political scene in the U.S., with particularly the House Speaker's issue. Now, Professor Mahoney, tell me more about your thoughts on the latest uh, drama. Well, it is a drama. And, uh, you know, if we go back to when McCarthy won the speakership, we recall that it took 15 votes and he ended up making uh, what uh, you know turned out to be some self-defeating concessions to some of the Republican hardliners in order to secure their support to win that election. Uh, and he crossed their red line recently with uh, compromise that he made uh, with Democrats to get a temporary funding bill through. And as uh, as uh, promised, uh, um, they brought him down. Uh, I think the question remains whether or not the, the House can be governed at this point by any one Republican House member and whether or not they're, they're going to be able to, even if they can establish a, a new speakership, whether or not they'll be able to work together uh, to prevent a shutdown in November uh, on the 17th when the current spending bill. If we look at uh, McCarthy, being ousted, uh, what does this what does this spell for for China U.S. relations? Uh, and and I'm a little concerned that it that it might indicate some negative developments. For example, you know he didn't go all the way to Taipei uh, the way his predecessor did, uh, but a successor might. He didn't. It's also possible that uh, a successor might agree to cut funding for Kiev uh, to get a spending bill through next month. And some anti-China hawks uh, in the Biden administration have seen the conflict in Ukraine as distracting uh, the U.S. from even uh, stronger efforts to contain and suppress China. And they would no doubt move quickly, if possible, to push freed up resources against Beijing and, and, in doubt, uh, and no doubt to enjoy bipartisan congressional support uh, along the way. So yes, mm -hmm. it's, it's an interesting time in how it impacts what's going on with, with U.S.-China relations or the upcoming uh, uh, Schumer-led senatorial visit to Beijing is, is certainly a, a hot topic. Well, first of all, this is more than dramatic. I think this is unprecedented. Uh, in my memory, I think in the last 150 years, this never happened in U.S. history, which the current speaker that's been ousted by vote. Uh, and right now, this drama that is happening in the United States is uh, absolutely you know, a barrier to a normal governance. Uh, not only the normal budget cannot be passed, they can only live by the weeks, like uh, depending on the continuing resolution, uh, but also the neither party can process their own priority uh, by getting the money and out of uh, uh, the Congress. But I think one of the things is that coming down the road, it's hard to imagine which one would be the next speaker. And if there's a 
next speaker, he could also be short-lived because of the current complex uh, political landscape he has to navigate. And it's very, very difficult at this point to, to mm. satisfy either side on their political agenda. The political fiasco already begun before the election season comes. So how should we understand the continuous and probably escalating drama ahead? What does that mean for all of us? Well, again, you know, it certainly uh, has some possible uh, implications for um, the U.S. Uh, position vis-a-vis uh, -vis Russia and Ukraine. Nevertheless, uh, I am concerned that uh, the chaos in the House is good for no one. Above all, uh, you know, we have Wall Street uh, that is starting to worry um, that this will increase uh, the risks that we'll see uh, a, sh a government shutdown uh, next month. Uh, that this could undermine consumer confidence, that it could pressure the Fed to further increase interest rates. And again, this has this has implications not just for uh, American citizens, but but the entire world. So, uh, you know, chaos in Washington, whatever the, the smaller aspects uh, mm -hmm. might be in terms of pros and cons, it, it, it only spells trouble for everyone. Of course, even the U.S. President, uh, Mr. Biden, said this uh, about the toxic uh, political environment inside the U.S. Let's listen to this quote. More than anything, we need to change the poisonous atmosphere in Washington. You know, we have strong disagreements, but we need to stop seeing each other as enemies. We need to talk to one another, listen to one another, work with one another, and we can do that. Given what the U.S. president's uh, observation of its own domestic political environment, how do you see the party politics likely to play out leading up to the election? President Biden has uh, been working in Congress for decades. He knows very well the inner working of, of Congress. And right now, if he is also concerned, that means the, the uh, U.S. Congress is really in trouble. And now the problem is that uh, the Republicans in the House really has a very thin margin, three to four votes to occupy the majority. If they cannot come up with the candidates, the right candidates for speakership, then uh, the U.S. is in big trouble because not only the current budget cannot be passed in the future, there will be uh, probably no major legislation will go through Congress. So far this year, uh, the, the U.S. Congress has pretty much achieved the lowest level of legislation in the past year. That means the Congress is not really representing American people and not really working for American people. And going forward, if they continue to stand against each other, it's a very thin opportunity that they will come and work together to move forward with other legislation. And coming next year, it's going to be election year, and probably all those congressmen will go back to their district and to go, uh, you know, campaigning against each other. So uh, again, very limited chance of uh, having another legislation. Mm -hmm. So there will be a stalemate in Congress, and uh, the impact on next year's legis uh, the campaign for presidency and for the control of Congress, of course, it's going to get more intense because both parties will accuse the other one so, for instance, uh, the Republicans will accuse Democrats to add more deficits, add more debt to, mm. to the nation. And the other side, will, of course, accuse uh, the Republicans of blocking legislation, of going insane uh, on those uh, demands that will wreck the nation. So, again, I think this political polarization will go only get worse. Professor Mahoney? Well, you know, I think one of the things that Biden is concerned about is twofold. First, that uh, this dysfunction in Congress and above all in the Republicans will, it may create uh, an opening for a uh, third party or an independent run. 
Now, some analysis says that he would benefit, uh, uh, say, from Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, the, the nephew of the, of the former President John F. Kennedy and the son of the former Attorney General, General uh, Robert F. Kennedy, who is a Democrat but uh, appeals to Republicans and uh, has indicated that he might run as an independent. If, we, if this race uh, is, is won between Trump and Biden, then some analyses suggest that Biden would benefit from this this RFK candidacy. However, uh, I'm of the opinion, uh, as are a lot of other uh, analysts, that the the incredible number of uh, legal jeopardies that that Trump currently faces uh, will probably ultimately tank his campaign, uh, leading to a uh, likely a different uh, nominee from the Republicans. And if that's the case, I think mm. that uh, the RFK candidacy would hurt Biden more. And that's what he's concerned about at this point. He would much rather uh, face uh, uh, some Trump without a without a uh, a third candidate, and he would rather have some uh, normalcy in Congress so that he can continue to move along and blame someone, but uh, but but still look like he's the better option. And now we are looking at the possible visit by the U.S. Uh, Senate leader, Democrat leader Mr. Schumer, of course another very uh, seasoned politician uh, with the U.S. Congress. Now. Mr. Mahoney, tell me more about how do you see the Democratic leader from the Senate likely to navigate the very complex political landscape back at home during his trip to China? Well, you know, I'm not sure we really understand what Schumer's mission is. Uh, uh, this certainly isn't a junket, but coming in a year when, as you've noted, multiple high-level meetings with cabinet uh, officials failed uh, to produce breakthroughs, we should ask, uh, why is he and the other senators, why, why are they coming? Uh, I think from the Chinese and international perspective, generally, we hope these meetings are about uh, the possibility of breakthroughs of, or, or progress of some sort. Uh, but I think it would be strange uh, to see senators playing such a role, given the fact that the president is the kingpin uh, foreign policy making and Biden's position, and really uh, that of, of most uh, U.S. politicians, including uh, these senators, is well known to be largely negative with regard to, to China at this point. Now, it could be that, that these senators want to come to China because they're facing pressure from U.S. commercial interest uh, to try to um, intervene and maybe uh, pause or slow down some of the, the deteriorating ties. Or it may simply be that they want to gain uh, more credibility and authority for their own positions. Uh, maybe they, they come to these meetings in Beijing and they go back even more resolved to take a hard line. Or maybe they're just uh, performing their due diligence in terms of uh, providing congressional oversight with the administration. I think it, it, it will be very interesting to see how they play out. Uh, and I'm not really sure yet which direction they'll go, but, but I remain, unfortunately, a bit pessimistic. Well, um, I think uh, China overall welcomes the communication and exchange between the two sides. And now, because of the pandemic and other uh, factors, the two Congress is not in face-to-face uh, -face meetings for not for three years. So mm -hmm. now this is a good chance to resume that communication. And now led by Chuck Schumer, remember, this is a bipartisan uh, delegation. You have another five senators coming from different states and to different parties uh, coming to China. So first of all, from China's perspective, of, cor of course, we welcome this visit. And of course, uh, by this visit, uh, the senators w wish to meet with uh, our top leader, President Xi Jinping. 
and to have a, a conversation about issues that they care about. For instance, in the statement, they talk about national security, economic, economic practice, and other issues. But uh, in reality, I think there are two issues they're focused on. One is, uh, as Professor Mahoney mentioned, the pressure from the business community. They want to talk about uh, China's uh, activities that regarding U.S. companies operating in China, particularly Micron, the uh, semiconductor company that's been sanctioned by China. And the other one is uh, fentanyl, uh, which is, you know, the Biden administration, previously Trump administration, also very cared about. And right now there's a national emergency that's going on in the United States and U.S. want to enlist China's help. However, right up to this point, the U.S. has been taking unilateral actions against China. And most recently, they put 25 Chinese nationals and entities on their sanction list. They're not taking a cooperative attitude towards China. So hopefully in this visit, uh, Chuck Schumer and other senators would take a more cooperative position and find a ear in, in China that's willing mm -hmm. to cooperate. Of course, it would be too much of a luxury if we use the word trust. But at least to establish the basic ways of communicating with one another, how much do you think from both sides some of the things they must do with the upcoming visit by the U.S. parliamentary delegation. People-to-people -people exchanges are vital, uh, that uh, people actually sitting down and meeting each other is the key to moving forward, to, to reestablishing uh, mutual trust yeah. and mutual understanding. And so I think this is, you know, even if Beijing uh, is, is being publicly optimistic, I think they understand that these kind of meetings, at the very least, help reestablish this understanding that we're all human, uh, that we're all trying to, to survive, and despite facing uh, increasing headwinds, and that hopefully human reason above all will, will rule these kind of encounters ultimately. Well, I think the purpose of uh, Senator Chuck Schumer's visit to China is to play wingman for President Biden and to support democratic government's policy towards China. And the best outcome should be, from China's perspective, reestablish uh, regular communications and establish some kind of mechanism between the two parliaments so that in the future they can communicate more smoothly without more interruption from uh, uh, political interference. Mm. Zhao Hai, Joseph Gregory Mahoney, thank you so much, both of you gentlemen. Appreciate it. Still to come, World Insight. Japan will release its second round of nuclear wastewater. Countries across the Pacific are voicing their opposition to Japan's actions. What are the political implications of this wastewater discharge? Next. Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines, this is World Insight. Welcome back. This is World Insight. Japan will begin releasing a second batch of wastewater from the crippled Fukushima nuclear plant on October the 5th. On August 24th, Japan began the first of a four-round wastewater discharge into the Pacific. The move had received a backlash from foreign governments across the Pacific and even fishermen closer to come. Some countries have even banned the Japanese seafood imports, for example, China. So what are the risks to countries across the Pacific Ocean? Are other containment options available? For more insights, let's loop in our panelists. In London, Isabel Hilton, founder of China Dialogue, a visiting professor at King's College London. In Beijing, Zhang Jianyu, executive director of BRI Green Development Institute. In Vienna, Anis Bajarek Tarabish, professor and chairperson with the International Law and Global Studies. We are seeing the region is being divided between their opinions about the wastewater coming from Japan, nuclear wastewater. 
What is your opinion from where you stand? Isabel, very briefly from you and also from everybody else. One or two sentences to state what you stand for. Nuclear power is always of concern because when things go wrong, it's very dangerous. But in terms of these uh, releases into the into the ocean, they're much, much less than is routinely released by nuclear plants very close to where I'm sitting, either in the Channel or, or on the west coast of the UK. Actually, there, there is an issue of, of water and there is also an issue of the trust. And this, this contributes, you know, to the existing demographic, economic what is generally lacking in Asia is, is basically a confidence-building uh, measures mechanism, which is uh, uh, indigenously Asian. And I think every issue is, 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 is then an additional burden. So uh, it, when we talk about the, the nuclear waste and release of water discharge, uh, we have to take this in, into consideration as well. So it's not just an environment issue, but also a trust issue. Mr. Zhang? Well, I think the whole action is despicable and uh, because you cannot exchange for a short-term uh, economic convenience with long-term you know, scientific uncertainty. And I think if the same logic applies, then we do not need to deal with anything on climate change. So from a science perspective, anything uncertain should not be done. So that's very interesting. We certainly have three different opinions, uh, but not necessarily only about the environmental standards, but more than that. So we have seen, Mr. Zhang, opinions are quite divided in the region. And recently we have been hearing rising voices coming from uh, developing countries, particularly in the region and that in the Pacific, for example, the Solomon Island, talking about the danger of this discharge of uh, nuclear wastewater coming from Japan. So how do you see this evolving debate? Uh, what is likely to be able to bring the two sides together or it is just impossible? Well, I think uh, uh, my will is uh, practically this, uh, this should have been or it is a, a science-based question that needs to be open for discussion and also to think about a holistic solution, including various uh, alternatives of action. But rather, I think this has been elevated uh, and uh, colored with unnecessary political lenses, and now is going to a, uh, a a sort of, in my mind, a sort of unsolvable situation because uh, it, it's not on anything uh, again, anything on agree whether you agree with the science or not is which sort of political camp you are standing in. So environmental experts actually are being caught in between, it seems, uh, Isabel. And I agree that this has become heavily politicized, but I think one way to approach it is to look at what the science says and to look at what the international regulatory authorities say about how to deal with a very unfortunate situation such as the one that has arisen here. I sympathize with the idea that we that we we should seek 100% certainty in science, but of course that doesn't exist. And we wouldn't build nuclear plants at all if 100% certainty was what we were looking for, because in addition to this incident, we have an ongoing problem of nuclear waste as we build more and operate more nuclear plants. And we haven't solved that either. 
So in the case of, of, of this water discharge, it, the, the big question is tritium. The International Atomic Energy Authority assures us that tritium occurs naturally at concentrations seven times greater than, than the water that's being released into the Pacific. We would all wish this didn't have to happen, but there is there was an accident. Um, it was much better handled and for example the accident at Chernobyl which deposited airborne nuclear waste all over Europe um so you know we if we have nuclear plants there will continue to be accidents and what we should be looking at is how the accident was dealt with how the authorities responded and what international science says it could be understand that people far from the pacific might be looking at it from some of the specific lens but those in the pacific as professor mentioned will be very much emotional about this because this in their neighborhood right in front of their courtyard yeah. so uh, yeah. a professor go to you about that so how is this going to set a good precedence about how to handle the discharge of wastewater? I think that's uh, probably that's even a bigger question uh, than this event itself, isn't it? Exactly. There, I mean, uh, there is always what is happening, how it is reported, and actually how it is uh, perceived. You know, the, the international conduct is always or is mostly based on, on the perception. We went to the First World War. Uh, on perceptions, not on, on, on facts. And of course, as, as colleague was uh, rightfully mentioning, there is a regulatory body, there is a watchdog actually just a few meters away. I'm, I'm just looking at the building here, International Atomic Energy Agency. They are inspector uh, teams which inspected Fuku Fukushima Daiichi right after the earthquake and the aftermath with tsunami. So, so th there is a regulatory body, but it again comes, you know, and the way it is reported and denied and uh, confronted in, in a verbal a way, politicized, you know, so it doesn't contribute to the general climate of, of, of let's say, confidence building. Uh, one of the possibilities, and of course this mechanism exists with the International Energy Agency, is that we have a joint inspections. Uh, bilateral, uh, you know, uh, Asia, uh, while even American and African continent, especially Europe, is multilateralized, Asia is strictly bilateral. And I think the time uh, for Asia, you know, if, if Asia wants to continue with its prosperity, is, the, is, is actually to build a multi multilateral momentum. I really welcome the comments from uh, my colleagues, but I think there are really three levels of issues that we're dealing with here. The first one is, as I said at the very beginning of my comment, I, I think it's an exchange of uh, short-term economic convenience with a uh, long-term uncertainty, because my understanding is that there are other alternatives that you can deal with this uh, rather than just uh, discharging. You know, I major in environment, major in environment engineering, and the first thing we learned when we went to college was that uh, dilution is not a solution. And I think that's really what is happening here. I, I think without a deep dive into all the other alternatives and just go to the cheapest solution, absolutely something that we should prevent from happening in the first place. The second is our colleagues mentioned about, you know, the, the, the very long and uh, challenging uh, culture and uh, regional relationships in the region. So I think even if Japan wanted to do it uh, in uh, in the first place, uh, they should have approached it in a different uh, uh, way of uh, using diplomatic channels uh, and uh, also uh, really to set up you know tri-party or multiple-party uh, you know uh, 
coordination mechanisms to deal with this issue. In Chinese, we're just saying that, you know, you cannot just sort of borrow uh, a land a hand from a, 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 a friend or an ally long, long ago, long, long away, you know, to sort of uh, to, to counter your, your neighbors uh, who has a more great concern with the immediate action that's happening. And certainly, I think it's really uh, you know the uncertainty, and uh, I think in in this world we're dealing with many things with uncertainty that are probably not scientifically proven at this time, but has long uh, range uh, long term consequences uh, if we uh, uh, if we don't sort of factor that in. Uh, I mentioned uh, climate change. That's how we team up the whole world uh, fight again with with climate change. You know, without IPCC, without the sort of so proved scientific evidence, and I think the same theory apply here. Uh, if we just you know sort of yield to the uh, the short term convenience, then you know there's many uh, of the other issues that we don't need to deal with anymore. Very interesting. Certainly, a debate uh, that's likely to continue as the second uh, patch uh, of uh, nuclear waste uh, going to be discharged into the Pacific Ocean. As we speak, thank you so much, Zhang Jianyu, Anis Bajrak Taravish, and Isabel Hilton. Thank you. Appreciate it. And that's all the time we have for today. If you'd like to know more, search World Insight. Check out our YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Tian Wei on behalf of my team. Thanks for being with us. Bye for now.